continuing on in our Revelation series called Hope Rising. We are in a Revelation chapter 17 this morning. <coughs> it's a doozy. It's actually not a doozy. It's, this is maybe uh, one of the breeziest uh, um, lessons of the whole series, at least from my perspective. Um, so as we have, you know, it's been quite the journey through Revelation so far as God has kind of been unveiling what his plans are to to, to kind of bring justice to a world that is uh, lacking in justice, to bring love into a world that is lacking in love, to make all things new, to make all things right, to really finally once and for all uh, unite the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven back together again as the way he intended it from the beginning. And so this is the story of Revelation. It's a story filled with hope. It's also a story filled with lots of warning and stuff like that. Uh, and so we've been <coughs> a couple of weeks talking about judgment. Mm. And as we've done that, I know it's been a little bit of a heavy topic for, for a lot of you. And, and, uh, but, but I hope, uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks, you've seen that when we talk about God's wrath and when we talk about God's judgment, they are uh, um, um, forever linked to his love. That if God does not exercise judgment, then you, we cannot say that God is love. If God is not just, then God cannot be love. That, that he has to be able to, um, uh, to eventually, in some way, finally deal with the problem of evil in this world. A God who would simply ignore evil is no kind of good God that we would want to serve. Amen? And so, uh, so eventually, through lots of patience, through lots of time, through sending his son to pave a way for all mankind to have, live in relationship with, with him as a righteous, holy God that they couldn't have, done, couldn't have you know, paved that way for themselves, through all of that, through the, his patience and his mercy and waiting and warning and get right, you know, put your faith in my son Jesus and all that kind of stuff. Eventually there will come a day when he says, enough is enough. It's time for me to deal with this and make all things right again. But thank God for our sake, thank God that we serve a merciful, long-suffering God who, uh, um, who you know, because if we talked about last week that if we were God, or at least if I was God, um, that would not be the case. I would just be like, okay, you guys screwed up. I'm in, you know, I'm making something else as my image bear and just wiping you all off the face of the planet. Right. Uh, but God doesn't do that. He, he loves us so much that he, he pays the penalty for our sin. Get, do you understand that? He pays the penalty. Chris talked about this just a second ago. He pays the penalty for our sin, right? Has anybody ever, ever paid the penalty for something that you did? Like, like, you know, when you're a kid, maybe, and you got a ticket and, uh, you know, your, your mom and dad maybe, uh, paid for that. And you don't really understand why that was such an awesome thing. You just think, well, it's their job to pay for my tickets. Right. Right. And, or maybe you had that parents that were, you know, that were like, no, I'm not paying for tickets. Like, you got that ticket. You guess what? You don't get to drive for a while, whatever the case may be. But you get that when somebody pays the price for, for your screw up, when somebody takes the hit, I, I worked for a, a chaplain when I was in the army who, uh, I've said this before. He was such a great guy. He would, you know, if I screwed up as his, as, as his assistant, if I screwed up, he would never throw me under the bus. You know, if, if, if his commander came to him saying, what's going on in your office, he would never say, it's that Private Myers. Instead, he would take full responsibility for it. It's, it's me. I'm sorry. I'll take care of that. And then he would deal with me privately, right? But he would never throw me under the bus. I always appreciated the the fact that just how patient he was with me and how he was willing to 
often take uh, the butt chewing that I deserved, right? And this is, this is God in his immense love for us that says, you guys have sinned against me, a holy, perfect God. There's nothing you can do. You, you guys get that, that we're so fall, fallen, we're so flawed. There's nothing that we can do to make amends to a holy, perfect God. So he takes that all on himself and makes it right, makes it right. And eventually he will, you know, while the cross and the resurrection were the launching of God's new kingdom, eventually we will see the fulfillment of God's new kingdom when he says, enough is enough. I'm going to deal with evil once and for all. I'm going to make all things right. I'm going to restore the kingdom the way it was meant to be. So that's kind of where we've been going. And now as we head into these next couple of chapters, we're going to hit chapter 17 and chapter 18, the beginning part of chapter 19 today. Uh, and uh, in this, we deal with a character that was just mentioned briefly last week uh, uh, for the first time. And, and, uh, and now we're going to deal with this character uh, in full this week. And it's uh, the character uh, in this story called Babylon. Now, again, if you're new to church, if this is your first week, first of all, welcome. Uh, you picked an awesome week to be here. And, uh, and, and, and second of all, if, if, if you're brand new, uh, or if you're, you know, you're still trying to figure all this out. Revelation is a very, very symbolic book. So we have all these kind of dragons and beasts and things like that that aren't necessarily uh, literal dragons and beasts and, and you know, uh, whatever. Instead, they symbolically represent something else that God has accomplished in, in the world. And we've been looking at what all these symbols mean. And <coughs> the one we deal with this week is a, a whore, a prostitute by the name of uh, Babylon. Babylon. And now there's been lots of conversation over the years. If you've been in church very long, you know, there's been conversations over the decades about who Babylon is, you know, is Babylon America, is Babylon, you know, whatever, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and, and why the kind of image of her as a prostitute, and, you know, all of this. And so, so we're going to kind of dive into this uh, and, 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 and I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to answer that question before we even dive into it. I think what uh, Babylon represents here. Uh, in the passage that we're getting, getting ready to, re, uh, to read is that if the beast was kind of the powers that want to, you know, the kind of world dominating powers that want to oppress the Christian faith uh, over the centuries, uh, you know, that, that rise up, you know, over and over and over again, Babylon, the city and Babylon, the prostitute represent the seductiveness of the culture of those powers that makes any sense. The seductiveness of the culture. And so uh, it, to put that into modern terms, uh, we live in a world where culture is constantly trying to seduce us away from uh, the things of the Lord, the things of God. Um, and, and so, for instance, you know, it's really, and it's really easy for kind of us to kind of pile on this kind of overall concept of culture uh, and be kind of anti culture or cross culture, uh, you know, believers, that sort of thing. Um, I think we have to be a little bit like, I'm a, I'm, I don't know about you. Um, like I'm a pop culture nerd. I'm a huge pop culture nerd. I love, like, I'm still recovering from the season premiere of walking dead two weeks ago. Like I'm still in mourning over all of that. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge, I love, I'm a Batman freak. I love Batman so much. 
Um, I, you know, I, I, I binge watch all the episodes of all five series of Star Trek about every five to seven years. Um, you know, I like, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm that guy. I love pop culture. I love music. I love, um, you know, just, just getting into, you know, you know, there's, there's good, there's good music. And then there's Christian music. I love the good music. And, and, uh, I love Christian music too. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I, I actually, I would say I would define, I would, I would categorize all music into either there's worship music and there's everything else. There's worship music and there's everything else. And, and, but I love music. I really enjoy getting into the different rock bands and, 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 uh, and actually all kinds of different music. Uh, my, my tastes are pretty diverse. But um, I, I love pop culture. I'm just a pop culture junkie. I really get into it. I'm a nerd. I, you know, if, if we're playing Trivial Pursuit, I'm hitting entertainment every single time, every single time, right? Uh, because cause that's, that's, where, you know, that's where I've clouded and filled all my head with all that information. So is it wrong to be, you know, the pop culture junkie? And, and is it, uh, you know, I'm, since, since that's me, I'm going to say no, it's not. And uh, <laughs> so I was telling somebody, we had a conversation at dinner uh, last night with some people. And, and this, this topic kind of, uh, in a sideways way, kind of came up. And, and, uh, and they were like, well, where do you draw the line? And I said, I draw the line right past everything that I do. That's where I draw the line, right? Which is basically where all of us draw the line. Um, and so as we, but here's the thing that we are called to do, that it's not culture and it's in and of itself that is our enemy. Um, the, the Bible often refers to uh, what we're going to be talking about today as this world. This world, this world can be very seductive to us in this world. And so, and, and it, and it, and it kind of singles out this world versus what I think it's trying to say versus the world of God, the things that are of, of import to God. Um, and so how do we as Christians living in this world kind of citizen of citizens of God's world and, but living in this world. How do we uh, make sense of all that? Um, you know, what's, what's the answer? Where do we draw the line? Where do we kind of, because I think all of us, you know, it's, it's, it's very popular, you know, in today's world to say, you know, we shouldn't feel like you have to draw a line anywhere. Just live your life, right? Who who's should get in your business and tell you how to live your life? Um, but I think all of us down in our core know that there are lines to be drawn. I mean, I mean, if you, I don't care how liberal, progressive, whatever you are, um, uh, I, every single one of us probably has this feeling that there are some lines that shouldn't be crossed. Not everything that is it, that is out there that this world presents to us, not everything is healthy for us, right? Even if you're not a Christian, right? It, it, put, put faith aside for a second. Even if you're not a Christ follower, you can look at everything this world has to offer and go, yeah, not all of that's good for me. Right? Every one of us can do that. And so, but, so we know that there are lines. So let's just get that argument out of, this, out of, out of our heads that, that maybe there shouldn't be a line. There, there are lines that we should draw. I think our nature tells us that. Um, but for the Christ follower, where do we draw those lines? Where do we draw those lines? And why do we draw those lines? Why is it important for us to do that, to live somehow in the world but not of the world? You know, how do we, how do we live in this world and somehow be set aside separate from it in some way, uh, you know, it's, it can be very confusing because, you know, because here's the thing most of us are worried about. <clears throat> we don't want to be some sort of, you know, weird Jesus freak that, um, that just 
constantly won't engage. You guys know who I'm talking about? You know, nudge the person if it's the person next to you. Um, you, you know, the, the people who will um, just completely cut themselves off from the world and at every opportunity attack everything that's going on in the world. We don't want to be those people, right? At least I don't think we do. At least here, if, if you do, you may have found the wrong church because the Living Hope, we tend to not live that way, okay? However, uh, we do want to walk wisely. We do want to walk under the direction of the Holy Spirit. We do want to be in such close contact with the Holy Spirit and with the Word of God that we can recognize the potential for danger and the potential for evil and avoid it. I think that's something that we all want to do. So again, where do we draw these lines? Why do we need the lines? All that kind of stuff. So I think this is what the next couple of chapters is really all about. I'm not going to read. I'm going to, I'm going to leave it to you to read the vast bulk of these couple of chapters. I'm going to read the beginning of chapter 17, and I'm going to read the ending of chapter 18. And I'm going to leave all the stuff in the middle for you to read. There's a lot of description about what certain things mean. I'm going to leave that to you. What I'd like to instead focus on this morning is is uh, kind of the heart of what I think John's trying to teach us through this vision uh, about this, you know, Babylon, the the prostitute. Um, And so it starts off like this, Revelation chapter 17. It goes like this. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. All right, so that's a pretty bold statement right out of the gate um, that what John is getting ready to see, he's been told, is the judgment of this prostitute, the judgment of uh, of the great prostitute. She's the one who has seduced the world. The world has become drunk on her seductions, right? Um, and, and so she has misled them and, 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 uh, and, and carried them off to places that they probably now realize they shouldn't have gone. Then it says, And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And we've talked about that beast and those blasphemous names before. You can look up podcasts on that. And it had seven heads and ten horns, and the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand uh, uh, a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations." And as I saw the woman drunk, and I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw saw her, I marvelled greatly. All right. So, in the historical context of this opening passage, John is very clearly speaking of of Rome and the culture of Rome that has seduced people and is constantly seducing Christ followers away from their faith and away from what they know is right and wrong and that sort of thing. Uh, uh, Later on, I didn't read it. You can look it up for yourself. But in a few verses later, he says uh, very clearly that the uh, when he, earlier he mentioned that it had seven heads and, and and a few verses later he actually says this the meaning of the seven heads is that they are seven mountains. Uh, the city of Rome is known for its seven hills that it 's built on it 's a very clear i think reference to rome and and so but just because it has this historical reference to Rome does not mean that it 's fixed specifically on Rome. I think again it's it 's fixed 
to the kingdoms that arise throughout the world and throughout all history that resemble Rome, that want to, they rise to great power and want to oppress the movement of God and the people of God and, and the kingdom building that we're supposed to do. And so here we have the, this vision of this, this, uh, this uh, prostitute who represents kind of the culture uh, or the world or the way of life of, of, of these powerful societies who will try to seduce us away from what we know to be true about God and what we know to be true about ourselves. And then uh, at the, when you skip forward to the end of uh, chapter 18, we see the judgment. Starting with verse 21, it says this, Then a mighty angel <coughs> took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. So Babylon, the great city, whenever in, in Revelation we, we, we hear uh, Babylon or other entities referred to as the great city, this is always in contrast to the city that we see at the end of the book of Revelation, where the story of the Bible starts, with, starts in a garden and ends with a city. You guys get that? It starts in the beginning of Genesis in a garden where God has made all things right and perfect. And it ends with a city where God has restored all things back to being right and perfect. And if this city that's coming in the end is God's good and perfect city, then this great city of the world is kind of uh, uh, everything in life and everything in the world that kind of opposes that, that, that opposes that. And so Babylon, that great city, will be thrown down with violence and will be, a, will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth... And all nations were deceived by your sorcery. All in her was found, all, and in, I'm sorry, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who had been slain on earth. So here we see the judgment kind of rolled out that, the, that, that everything you have built up, everything that you're so proud of, everything that you kind of laud as your greatest achievements and everything else, it's all going away. It, it's it's going to be but a flash in, in, in time of, of history. It's all going away. So all of us who have put all of our faith and all of our stock and all of our value in the things that this world have to offer, we have to realize that all of that is going away. It'll be no more. It'll be no more. And then what will you be left with? If you have built your whole life around something that ultimately is false and will be dealt with and judged and will go away. Ultimately, what will you be left with when that happens? And the answer is, is that if you don't have Jesus, you're left with nothing. If you don't have Jesus, you're left with nothing. So what I want to do for the next several minutes is I want to take a look at this concept of the, the world around us as Christians, even today, that tries to seduce us away from our faith and, and tries to seduce us away from making um, 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 God the priority of our life and our, the center of our lives and that sort of thing. And what that looks for, uh, like for us and what our response should be to that. And the first big point that I want to make, Mark's going to put it up here in a second, is that you will either lift this world up or it will drag you down. You'll either lift this world up or it will drag you down. And we as Christ followers have to come to, 
to grips with that concept. Are we going to take this fallen world and be kingdom change agents in this world and elevate it to, uh, to kingdom standards? Or are we just going to kind of go with the flow and go with whatever and allow the world to drag us down? One of those two things is going to happen. And I can tell you that if you're not being intentional about the first, um, then it, it, the other will happen. If you're not being intentional to be a kingdom change agent in this world, then it will not happen accidentally that you will be dragged down by this world. And it happens so sneakily. I don't know if sneakily is a word, but it sneaky, sneaky, I don't know, sneakishly. <laughs> it happens that way, right? It just creeps us on, uh, creeps up on us before we even realize it. Uh, you know, we, we make these, we've talked in previous weeks about compromises. We make these compromises after compromises after compromises. Now, who here um, grew up uh, with uh, strict parents? Anybody grew up with what you would say were strict parents? Yeah. Okay. So I grew up with strict parents too. And, 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 and most of us who grew up with strict parents can look back on some of the rules that were in our, our parents' houses and we can go, a lot of those rules were great and I needed them. And some of them were a little bit ridiculous, right? So some of them were just like, ah, I can't really make sense of that rule. And so you remember when you got out on your own and you started living your life in a way, like making certain decisions with your life that you know your parents would not have approved of, that they were probably going to look over their glasses at you at, you know, that sort of thing. Really, that's the decision you're going to make. I'm not talking evil decisions. I'm just talking different decisions, right? Just different decisions. Remember the first time you made that decision, you were like, oh, mom and dad would hate this, but I'm going to do it anyway, you know, and, and, and you kind of feel that, that thing inside or whatever, and, and you do that, and then, and, then, and then you make that decision again, and you make that decision again, and then, you know, you know five years down the road, 10 years down the road, you're like, you don't, you don't have those butterflies anymore. It's just, it's just part of who you are. And, 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 and in the same way, I think the compromises that we make with this world kind of happen when we stray from our father, God, and we kind of tiptoe away from him to try new uh, things and new uh, uh, um, um, experiences that we know are outside of his will. The first few times, uh, it, there's a sense of danger. There's a sense of guilt. There's a sense of whatever else we might be, you know, sometimes even shame that we might experience because we are, we're wandering away from God. And eventually our hearts become kind of seared to where it's like what once felt so wrong and dangerous now is just commonplace in our life. Maybe some of you right now could, could think of a, a, a very clear example of that in your life where you know you're, you know, engaging in experiences that are outside of God's will, clearly because Scripture speaks of them, but they become so commonplace in your life that you barely even think about them anymore. I would say it's time to start thinking about them again. It's time to start thinking about them again. So we have this choice, basically, that we can remove ourselves from the culture. We can remove ourselves from this world in the way that, say, monks do, uh, the Amish kind of try to do that sort of thing. We can kind of pull back and just say, I'm cutting everything off, right? Or we can be those kingdom change agents and try to redeem the culture to, God, to God's glory. And what, I'm, what I mean by, I'm a big redeemer. I'm, I'm not the redeemer, but I, am, I, I like to redeem things. And so I loved redeeming time. I like wasted time drives me insane. Like if I, like I, if I go to say uh, DMV without an appointment, which is 
we can all agree is horrible. Uh, if I go to DMV without an appointment and I know I'm going to be waiting there for a couple hours, I always take a book with me. Uh, you know, I, I've always got, and if I get to DMV and realize I forgot my book, I'm literally just beating myself up. What in the world? All this wasted time and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so like I redeem, I, you know, I've got, I've got bathroom books. I redeem all the time, right? Like I, 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 I'm a big time redeemer of time. And I, I believe in us being a big redeemer of, of the culture. In other words, there are aspects of this culture that we live in that can be good or can be negative, even bad influences in our life. And it's all about what we do with it. Okay. And I'm not talking about clear evil. I'm not like, like, you know, you know, I'm not talking about diving into the porn industry. I'm going to make porn to the glory of God. That's not what I'm talking about. Right. I'm talking about, let's look at these things that happen in you know, that, that just this world that we live in. Um, and we're going to talk about some examples of that and taking what could be good or could be bad, depending on how we use it, how we engage with it, and deciding very intentionally, I'm going to redeem this. I'm going to use it for the glory of God. I, I think this is critical. And I think for me and for, for, for our church, the, the kind of direction that we have set ourselves on, this is what we try to do. Rather than constantly attacking culture. Now, we'll, we'll speak truth about evil every day of the week and all day on Sunday, right? We'll do that. But I'm just talking about culture in general, this world in general, the parts of it that we can redeem and use to the glory of God, and that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. Because it's so easy to just get on the negative train and just bag on something that's new and, and you know, just because you, know, you, you see, we, we see it all the time. One negative thing happens from something, name anything, and, and the, you've got this group of people that just jump on it, pounce on it, and it's like, oh, it's evil, it's horrible, it's ah, blah, 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 blah. It's probably the Babylon, the whores. You know, you know, they just start quoting Revelation and all kinds of stuff. And, and we can, you can go that route and, and basically cut yourself off from the world. Even, I mean, you can, you can cut yourself off the world for, without being Amish, by the way. You can cut yourself off from the world just by being a jerk, right? And unfortunately, we've had, we, there are a lot of, people that go by the name of Christian that have cut themselves off the world from the world just by being a jerk. That's not what we want to be. So this is what it kind of looks like for us. And I'm just going to kind of use the outline that scripture gives us in that judgment that I just read. So one of the things, as he kind of dives into the judgment, he says, and, and the sound of harpists and musicians of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And I think this is kind of a reference to the arts, the arts. Um, whether it's music, whether it's art, whether it's media, whether it's film, whether, whether, whatever it is, just, just the artistic nature of the... And thank, can we just say thank God for art? Thank God for art. Thank God for beautiful music. Thank God for creative, creative people who make uh, amazing films. Thank God for uh, just art in itself, you know, like physical art. I, like, I love the arts. I'm a big fan of the arts. And, and, and I, I experience, you know, just as... I and a lot of other people experience God through nature at times. I experience God through art a lot of times. God speaks to me through very artistically minded people, songwriters and, and novelists and all, you know, all kinds of people like that. So often I love, I really love the arts. And so when it comes to the arts, you know, there's this kind of phrase of, you know, when it comes to the movie business, it's, it's all lights and mirrors. You know, it's all, it's all, you know, just how you get people to see what you want them to get, get to see. It's all lights and mirrors. And for us, I think we need to take that lights and mirrors analogy and, and redeem it for the gospel and redeem it for 
who we are as God's uh, kingdom agents in this world, his image bearers in this world, and take that lights and mirrors analogy and go, I'm going to take that light and I'm going to use it to shine a light on Jesus. I'm going to take the light that, that can come through something artistic and use it to shine a light on Jesus, or I'm going to take that mirror and use it to hold up a mirror to a world that really needs to see themselves for who they are and get some clarity about who they are and what they are, have become and that sort of thing. So I will use that light to shine a light on Christ. I will use that mirror of the arts to, to reflect uh, uh, the fallen nature of people back to themselves so they can get a clear image of who they are and who they are in God and, and that sort of thing. But it's all... Now, you can, you can abandon art if that's the route you want to go, I, I think that's a sad existence. But if you want to abandon art, go right ahead. Go burn all your CDs. Go convince yourself that, you know, Satan's talking through you, to you through your backward playing records and all that kind of stuff and, you know, whatever else. Go, go burn it and ban it all. You know, burn books. Do, do, if that's the direction you want to go, that's fine. I just think it's a much more beautiful thing for us to go. You know what? Let's make our own art that that has its own value. Uh, in fact, let's, as Christ followers, set the stage for what art should be. You know, there's, no, there's no such thing as, as, as music that, that is inherently evil. It's all in what you do with that music. So let's take these mediums of art and use them to the glory of God. So I, I would love if a major aspect of the ministry in our church was that we became a people who elevated art in this community in such a way that it glorified God. That's beautiful to me. That's, and many of you do that, actually. The next thing uh, here is that uh, is uh, technology. That next phrase he says is that, and a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. A craftsman of any craft, you know, just the, just the, the making of things, the building of things, the innovation of things. And I think for us in our world, that's kind of technology. And a lot of people, technology is that thing that's so easy for us to bag on. And we can just be like, ah, just abandon technology. And, and we all, you know, it's all talk because none of us can really do it, right? And so, so you know, we've become this, this world. I think I'm going I'm to pick on a couple of things because I think they're the most obvious things. Our phones and then our, 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 uh, our internet and social media and that sort of stuff, right? Okay. So here's the thing about our phones. We have become this nation of people who just stare at our phones all day long. Do you guys remember uh, as kids going, you know, to grandma's house for Thanksgiving or uh, aunt and uncle's house for Thanksgiving and playing with the cousins and being out, you know, just, just roughhousing and playing and, all, you know, that, that sort of thing. And now, like I've got on my mom and dad's side, there's 12 grandkids. We all get together and they're all in the living room like this, just staring at their phones. Now they're talking, they're nudging or they're texting each other. <laughs> they're right here texting each other, right, you know, and, and that whole thing. And they're just staring at their phones. And, and, and so it's, now here's the thing. It's so easy for us because, because we are nostalgic about the old days or whatever. It's so easy for us to go, ah, these phones are evil. You know, we should take them all away or you know, whatever. But here, does anybody really want to go back to pre-smartphone days? Anybody? When is the last time you asked somebody for directions? You know what I'm saying? You remember pulling over at gas stations like every time you went out and asking for directions? That was the reality. That, can you tell me how to get to the highway from here? Uh, sure, you do this and this. And it was never right, right? You know, the whole thing. And, and, and like there, there is such good things about that technology. There's, uh, there's, some of that stuff is just amazing, 
amazing that I, I have the ability to kind of, kind of you know, know a little bit about where my kids are based on the locations of their phones and things like that. And uh, like, I, th- there's, there's technology there that is absolutely beautiful. Do you guys know that? I mean, and you're probably like me. Uh, oftentimes the majority of the reading and study of the Bible that I do happens right on my phone. It's all right there. And this is what I'm talking about, about redeeming technology to the glory of God. That phone absolutely has the potential to be something negative, and I would even say destructive in your life. Like, okay, get this image in your head. Let's go pre-phone days. You know, let's, let, go, go, let's get in the Wayback Machine, go back to the 80s. And, and l- imagine for a moment, imagine for a moment your mom, let's say you're a young man, your mom hands you a Playboy magazine and says, now here's the deal about this magazine. You will learn so much from this. Like the journalism in this magazine is top notch. The articles, the interviews, they are amazing, amazing. And you can really learn a lot from this magazine. However, there are some pages in here you should not look at. So here you go. I don't know. Like, can we just be honest in church for a second? And, and all of us would have gone, okay, mom, thanks. And, 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 uh, no, I won't. And, you know, lock the door or what, you know, so like, it's the, that, that is how ridiculous it is for us to give our kids these phones with no checks and balances on them. Can you imagine decades ago, if somebody would have handed you a tiny little box that said, here's the entire world of pornography right? Like there, there are obviously destructive things that can happen through that technology. And so we have to exercise wisdom. We have to exercise caution. We have to put up boundaries in our life right now. I've got boundaries for myself on my phone. There, there are, you know, ratings and passwords and things in place on my phone that only my wife has the password to. Like I, I, I recognize my own uh, ability to sin and I'm like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to be that guy. This is, that's my mantra for life, by the way. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. And so I put up boundaries intentionally as a grown man, put up boundaries in my life to make sure I don't become that guy. You have to exercise wisdom. But you know what? When it comes to that, when it comes to say social media, which by the way, social media, holy cow. Like I, I uh, have loved Facebook so much just in terms of keeping track, keeping in touch with old friends, with family members, with my old cousins that I used to play with and all the whole thing. I, that, that medium of Facebook can be such a positive thing. It's been a positive thing for our church where we get our message out and we keep people encouraged and we share scripture with one another and, and encouragement to one another, that sort of thing. But has... The last two years of this election cycle ruined Facebook for anybody else. I'm not even joking. Like, I'm off. I tapped out. I'm like, I'm done. I'll post church stuff. I, you know, can I tell you? Can I? You know, here's a little moment of honesty. Do you know who ruined Facebook for for me? You guys. I'm serious. A lot of you guys are the ones that ruined it for me. I, I had a conversation there. You know, in in uh, in. Um, kind of church leadership, you know, the way churches, pastors and, you know, whatever do leadership. There are some pastors who, well, when we talk about giving for say, giving is, is not just about money. It's a discipleship. It's a stewardship. It's a maturity issue, that sort of thing. And so, 
Uh, some pastors know um, who gives in, in the church because they take it on as a discipleship issue. They want to disciple their people well, disciple them towards greater maturity. And other pastors like myself, I'm, I'm like, I don't need to know that. I just want to know that we're growing and healthy as a church and, you know, that sort of thing, right? And there's no, I don't believe there's a right or wrong there. Although I had, when I first started Church at Living Hope, I asked a pastor that I love and respect, and I said, what do you do with, about this? Should I, should I know? Should I not know? What does that go? He said, he said you know, there were, at first when I started, I didn't know, and then I, I felt convicted like I, I needed to be able to hold people a, a little bit more accountable. Not beat them up, just, just encourage them towards greater maturity. And so I went for a couple of years of knowing who was giving. And he said, it was so depressing. I had to stop. It was just so depressing. I had to stop. And that's how I have felt recently about social media that I love what social media can do. But can I tell you that some of you, even in this room, you switch off the Christian love switch when you get on social media. And you got to stop it. Stop it. Like it's ugly and it's just got to stop. What if, inst- what if you valued elevating Christ and his kingdom more than you valued elevating your dumb opinion? What if you began to use that, that technology to the glory of God rather than to your, the glory of you and your candidate or whatever else? Elevate other people elevate Jesus. But instead you've used that technology. Many of you have used that technology just to, to create dividing lines between everybody you disagree with. Many of whom are in this room, which is just sad. It's just sad. Completely ruined it for me. Thanks jerks. (laughs) Right? So here's the thing. Let's not be those people. Let's be those people who, who, who look at what's great and good about the technology because it is a good thing. It really is. It has the potential to be a good thing. It also has the potential to be a bad thing. Let's choose the good. Let's choose the good. All right. I'm stepping off that soapbox. Here we go. Uh, the next thing there is uh, he says, and the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. Back in this day, they didn't have mills like we have mills today. When they were talking about the mill, they were talking <laughs> the grinding of, of, of grain, that sort of thing. So he's talking about food. It's like even your enjoyment of food and, and, and culinary things will, will be no more, no more. Now, we can be either seduced and controlled by food, which we're probably all guilty of from time to time. Yep. Or we can use food to glorify God. We can use food as a thing that we share to build fellowship with one another. We can use food as a, as, as a tool in which we reach into the lives of people who are far from Christ. We can use food as a, as, a, as, as a thing where we truly praise God for providing us all these wonderful, diverse tastes and different things where e- the eating of food becomes an act of worship, not of the food and not of our guts, but an act of worship of God. It's all about perspective. It's all about what we do with it. The next thing he says in that passage is, he says, and the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. A lamp uh, the whole purpose of a lamp is to bring light to the darkness. And so it, it, it's, a, it's an issue like, you know, if you've got areas of our community that are dark and crime happens a lot, what do we do? We put street lamps out there. We, we light it up. Uh, it's, a, it's about safety. It's about security. 
And, and he's saying, you're not going to sense that and you'll be, be, you'll be tossed into darkness. You won't have that sense of safety, that sense of security. We can, when it comes to safety, we, we can worship our own safety. Just become obsessed with safety. Or we can use that as a, an opportunity to provide safety for everyone. We, we, can, we can be selfish about it or we can, we can share that concept. He then says, uh, the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. The voice of the bridegroom and bride will be, what's the voice of the bridegroom and the bride? It's love. It's I love you. It's romance. It's, it's, that, it's, it's that, all that great emotion that you experience when you're in that relationship and everything. It's like romance, the same thing. We can worship. <laughs> you can worship your spouse. That's not going to go well for you or him or her. Um, you guys have heard me preach this before. I heard it preached yesterday and I loved it. Uh, just the whole, how I hate the whole concept of soulmates. I, I, don't, I just don't believe in soulmates. And, uh, and there was th- this guy who said the same thing in this talk I heard yesterday. And Jamie was sitting next to me. She's like, I hate that you heard that. <laughs> so like, I, I'm just not big on the whole soul. I like the soul train, but not the soulmate train. And, uh, and so anyway, that, here's the, here's the thing. You can go, you can have a soulmate, a soulmate. If you believe in that sort of thing, you can have that. Or what I would suggest is a much better option. You can have a gospel partner with benefits. <laughs> a gospel partner with benefits. One of the things I love so much about my relationship with my wife is that we have a, we have a romantic relationship, but it's not defined by romantic feelings. If there's anything that defines my relationship with my wife, it's that we are partners in the gospel. We are partners in the gospel. She's a genuine partner in the gospel with me. And there's nothing more beautiful than that in my mind. Nothing. So go for gospel partners with benefits. All right. Then uh, the last thing he says there is that for your merchants, your merchants were the great ones of the earth and all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. Of course, there's this idea of, of money and business and how seductive that can be. And you can create a life where you are um, you operate from a place of greed or you can operate from a place of generosity. And when you operate from a place of generosity, that's kingdom building. When you operate from a place of greed, that's all going to go away someday. So let's not be greedy people not support greedy people. Let's be people who will, who will always want to lift people up who need to be lifted up. Let's be a people who will be a generous people. You can talk all day long about whether you believe in tithing or what you should give to church and all that kind of stuff and you know, have all kinds of different arguments about that. And it's like I always say, there's not one person in this room who's going to sit back and cross your arms and go, no, I don't want to be a more generous person. Like, I think there's something in all of us, especially when you enter, enter into a relationship with Christ, we all want to be more generous. And Christ works that out in us. Thank God. Thank God. Now, the last section here, chapter 19. Here, here we get to the good news. He says this, After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! 
Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you, his his servants, you who fear him, small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Listen to this, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So here we have, uh, we've got this judgment of the system, the culture, the ways of this world. And then there's praise that breaks out. You are such a good God. You alone deserve our praise. And then there's this wedding, the marriage supper of the lamb. And his bride shows up adorned in her purity. And who is that bride? That's us. That's us. And so I want to say this. In a world full of prostitutes, be the bride. In a world full of prostitutes, be the bride. Be the bride. And what does that look like for us to be the, the bride? It means that we decide very intentionally we're going to be a people who seek purity. We're going to be a p- people who seek purity. We're going to be a people who, who will draw some lines and say, there are some lines I will not cross. Now, It would be super easy for me to give you a a list, a detailed list with bullet points and everything of lines that you shouldn't cross, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because I learned long ago that God leads some of us in places that he doesn't lead others of us because he knows our strengths and he knows our weaknesses. And so this is what I want you to do instead. I just want you to go prayerfully to God in everything. In everything. You thinking on thinking of taking on a new show that you're going to start binge watching or whatever else? Pray about it. Is this going to is this is this a good thing? Is it going to tear me down? Is it going to build me up? Is it going to is it neutral? Is it just simply entertainment? You know what? But ask yourself those questions. Take those questions to God. Is, is there music that you know is eh, it's a little iffy? It's a little questionable that you, you really like it because the beat's great. Whatever else, take it to God. Is this building me up or is it tearing me down? Do I need to draw a line here, God? Don't assume that you get to set the boundaries of your life. Submit the boundaries of your life to God and ask God to set them for you. Because this is what God will do. When you submit that to him, he will keep you safe. Because the whole seduction of this world that, that encroaches in upon us, it's all about trying to get us away from God and the safety of being in his family. And if the, if the world can do that to us, then it's a win. 
It's a huge loss for us, though. Be intentional about seeking purity. Be intentional about guarding your heart. And also, moms and dads, guard the hearts of your family. Guard the hearts of your family. Don't be afraid to make unpopular decisions because you think it's best for your family because you need to guard their hearts. That's, that's being a good mom and a good dad. In a world full of prostitutes, let's be the bride. Amen? Let's be the bride. All right. Let's close in prayer with a prayer that we've been praying from Matthew chapter 6. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we love you and we thank you once again for your word. And um, God, I, I will be the first to admit that I have failed from time to time in setting uh, boundaries in my life that glorify you and that honor you and that keep me safe from harm. And so, God, give me a passion to want to do that. Give me the wherewithal to submit everything to you and not just assume uh, that I'm in control of this life. Help me to submit to you in everything, in everything, even the practical things of our life. Help me to submit to you in the way I consume entertainment and art. Help me to submit to you in the way I consume food. Help me to submit to you in the way I use money, uh, in the way that I work, uh, in everything that I do, God. All the details of my life, let, help Allow me to make you the center of all those things. And as we do this, God, we will give you all the praise and all the glory. Lead us and guide us in the way that you want us to go. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.